Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, I missed talking to you, man. How's everything going on your end? We're we're getting by. Everybody uh, is health, healthy over here, doing well, me, my wife, and my daughter, and uh, I hope the same with you and your family. Yeah, yeah, just me and the wife over here, and we're we're doing well. The house is getting more set up. We just spent a lot of money on backyard furniture and a grill, and so I've been grilling this week, and it's been great. Uh, and the weather has finally turned uh, a little bit warmer and a little bit less rain. So been able to be outside more, making the, I guess, what could be the tail end of the quarantine for now uh, a little bit more tolerable. I think Virginia is opening up some stuff uh, tomorrow, which would be Friday. Yeah, it's uh, looks like we're going into they had they had a delayed phase one and a phase zero. I think we're heading into phase one. So you know, fingers crossed for for everybody uh, going in and and in these uncertain times, and we'll continue to be uncertain times for a while here. Yeah, why don't you give us a cheers and let's get kicked off. So it's tough. We're in a really really rough time for a lot of people, but want to keep this cheery and positive. We said last time we did a podcast, you don't have an excuse to get a bunch of stuff done. And I didn't write a book. I didn't write another screenplay. I didn't do any of those things, but I did a whole bunch of home projects. Like I, I, what I would consider a massive amount of home projects. (laughs) I epoxied my whole garage floor. Yeah. That looked like a job, man. That looked hard. (laughs) Yeah. That took, that took a, a, a full week to do. I built gardens for my wife. Um, I built an entire shed in our garage or like a shelf in our garage. I, you know, I did a bunch of things. So while I didn't do anything necessarily creative, I got to use my hands, get a little bit dirty, which always makes you feel a little bit more energetic about life, make you feel a little bit better. So how about to uh, a little cheers to, to all of us that found maybe not huge things that they got done, but just those tasks that maybe we were putting off over this period of time that made us feel a little bit better during uh, a rough period in, in kind of everybody's lives, whether it's health or just being really scared about what's going on in the world or just trying to find something to keep yourself motivated. So how about a, a quick cheers to that? Cheers, man. I like any chance I can get to use the power drill. So it's like, oh, the new grill arrived. There's some Phillips head screws on this puppy. I can't wait to use the drill on that. Like, I just want to use the drill uh, and all my other tools. Like, I was hanging pictures, not quite as satisfying, uh, you know, putting in a finishing nail to hang a picture, but any little bit is fun to, you know, like you said, use your hands just a little bit if you can. And I always uh, use those projects and, and- I hope my wife hasn't caught on to this, but I always use them to buy a new tool. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I could do that, but I really don't have this. So it right. looks like I'm going to have to buy this I'm new I'm going to have to buy a power saw now. <laughs> <laughs> There's been about nice. five of those purchases since uh, this all started. All right, let's start on these news and notes. Uh, the first thing I want to start with was the prospects of having the 2020 college football season seem to be improving. There's a variety of different possibilities, but we talked about our percentage chance on how good we feel about the season starting. How are you feeling about the season starting on time today? Give me a percentage. Uh, It's really, the season starting in general is really high. And I split it up into two topics that we'll get into. 
we're gonna we're gonna kind of freewheel some of this uh, tonight just because there's a lot to to take down. But in terms of just my general thoughts on the last podcast, I was really down in the dumps. Of it. I think we recorded right at the end of April. Things were really bad at that at that period of time, and we talked a lot about the AD saying that everybody has to be a cohesive unit if we're gonna start the season and. I think I said twenty five percent. Now, you, yeah, you weren't feeling good, and I had I had come down pretty much significantly in the like week before we recorded. Yeah, because there's conference games and then there's out of conference games. All right, so I, I hate to kind of bifurcate all of this, but some of those conference games start week one. So I think with the games starting within two weeks of the normal start time that was already scheduled for me is now at like 85, 90%. Wow. It's probably that, that high. Just uh, it does everything seem I'm to be moving in, in that direction. And I said on the last podcast that it seemed premature to say, you know, we got to cancel the season or we got to push the season into 2021 at that time. It did seem premature. And what's happening now is, is validating that thought because there was more time to observe how we're going to deal with it. And what the treatments are, are if if any that have come out, and so I feel good about it starting on time. My concern with the season is finishing it, and what is the what's going to happen if someone gets sick? What what's say Trevor Lawrence contracts coronavirus? I'm just using like the biggest star in college football, him or Justin Fields or somebody on Alabama. If they get coronavirus and get put on a ventilator. What what does that mean for the rest of the college football season? I think you know what it means. Like, mm. it, it's not going to continue. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. I did. I would I would toss it up to you whether you want to make a segment out of this or not because I got a lot of thought. I got like twenty bullet points. We on don't this. have to make a long segment I out think, of it. It's just a. I'm concerned about whether you want to call it a second wave or just someone getting sick. Now I yeah. know they're eighteen to twenty two year olds there's like a 0.0001% chance they're going to die of coronavirus. But it doesn't mean that someone can't get it or a half of a team can't get it and or a few players, you know, have to be sent to the hospital because of it. There's 6,000 Power 5 football players. And I'm using Power 5 just because those are the quote-unquote important teams. But there's probably 10, 12,000 uh, overall D1 college football players and chances are someone's going to get COVID and someone's going to have to go to the hospital. Yeah. Well, I was alluding to the fact that this is a segment in of itself. So I've, I have a bunch of thoughts here. So I think the first, the first step's going to be when players return to campus, uh, it, it, Virginia tech, to my knowledge, I follow things relatively closely every day, but they have not announced their, their date that they're coming back. Clemson has, the entire SEC has. We have not announced when players are going to come back. Twofold with that is how do they approach for practice players coming back, which I've heard things, and this is actually really insightful. I was listening to SiriusXM, which you know, listening to SiriusXM, the college station during this time is it's really rough because there's nothing to talk about. It's the same thing over and over, but I caught a tidbit where somebody was talking about um, strategies for bringing players back. You don't necessarily want to bring all 86 players back on campus. What would be smarter to do if you're a head coach and an AD is bring back the guys that maybe not have 
access to the resources that they need workout equipment are not able to get like so bring some of them back bring back the guys that may have a little bit more weight on them you know people that have to cut down to be prepared for the season impact starting freshmen because in the gyms at the campuses i think the stat was one of the programs said that they're only going to be able to allow 10 people in the gym at a time on a full and, and you know how packed those gyms are usually you see the clips it's like yeah so with 10 people at a time it's not feasible so basically the point being that everybody's concerned that there's going to be this inrush of all the entire team back on campus where i think if everybody is smart and they and they are you know treating health and you know trying to prepare accordingly they may bring back certain waves of people that are willing to come back to campus in like certain periods of time over that so it's not like june 6th is going to hit and all everybody hits hits the campus but I guess to that end, what happens during that time when they ba- are back on campus practicing and what whatever backlash comes from that, whether people get sick or things like that, are probably going to dictate as much as what we know yeah. today. And- well, it's the same thing in reverse as to what we were talking about in the last podcast where it was like, it does not look as if the season's going to start on time or at all this year. And then now we're going back, it's going to start on time. And <laughs> basically what's going to happen is probably something in the middle. Saying it's going to start on now, on time now is premature, just as it was to say it's it's not going to. So, yep. And I'm concerned about the guys going back, not so much for their health, but the sooner they go back to campus, maybe it's half the team, maybe it's a third of the team at a time. I don't really know. The more chance there is for contraction and as soon as you hear, you know, 10 players on Oregon football got COVID, there's going to be a whole new push to delay or get yeah. rid of the season. And and it's, that's the thing. It's like, you you almost don't want anyone back there until fall camp. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I'll just also add to that. And there was some scrutiny that I'd heard about the NCAA saying that people could come back and the NCAA shouldn't have allowed that. At, at some point, people have to start making their own decisions for right or for wrong. There's a bunch of people that decided to go to the beach in droves, you know, this this past weekend, and that probably wasn't the best idea. So um, I think, one, as long as the coaches are giving the players their flexibility in what they want to do, whether they want to choose to come back or not, then it, whether they want to be, you know, on campus training or not, that is critically important on what's your own decision. I mean, these aren't, these aren't children. They're also not, you know, grown. They're in between as long as they have their own choice. And then coupled with that is there is nobody wants to be that school that is to your, you know, you know, your example, the school that has 10 guys that get COVID. And the, the, the protections at at least the major schools that are bringing people back, I think are going to be extreme and probably far more extreme than you find down at your grocery store down the stairs. I mean, they, nobody wants to be Virginia tech who got 10 kids sick that came back to to campus. So, um, I think it, it is perfectly justified to be both concerned. I think it's perfectly understandable to, to also recognize the fact that the backlash on the school that has a problem And that actually, you know, people look at what was happening and what was done to protect those players during that time is going to be massive. So they have as much. There's a lot of planning and uh, contingencies that need to be worked out, laid out, made public, all that kind of thing. 
And uh, I'm sure every AD and president is working overtime trying to get that stuff taken care of and and above board. They the NHL just put out like their plan for their playoffs and the NBA's plan of like putting everyone down in Orlando and having some kind of 20 or 24 team group stage playoff like that's going to come down the pike soon and all of that will create different roadmaps for football to follow as well. So over the next month, month and a half before fall camp starts, we'll have a better roadmap for sure. It's just it is interesting that June 1st, a lot of universities are going to be taking guys back for summer workouts and whatever, and that's on Monday. So um, hopefully everyone is safe and takes proper precautions because the last thing we want is to go back too early and to jeopardize the chance of having football in in the fall and also anyone's health. Yep, couldn't agree more. Let's move on to some actual football and basketball notes now. We got word that Jeremy Webb – the cornerback is transferring. He's entered the transfer portal. Webb came in as a Juco, pretty highly rated four-star two years ago. I think in his first like workout or first month on campus, tore his Achilles, like got better by like the UVA game that fall uh, from like June to November. He healed up and was running around on the field, tore his second Achilles and, uh, it just didn't seem like it was in the cards for him to play for Tech. And I thought he might contribute this year. We kind of talked about him a little bit here and there. He was, he might have even been playing. He played last year at the end of the year, I want to say. I'm, I'm not sure if he took some snaps. But uh, he's transferring. And it's it's a bummer. They said that he was a, uh, a great team guy. I wish it had worked out better. Uh, for multiple reasons, for the kid, but also because two years ago we could have used him so badly when our corners were just getting torched. Yeah, and mostly I just feel bad for him. I'm just talk about snake snake bit just situations and just completely unfortunate. So um, everything that I've read online, everything that's been said about him has been nothing but com- extremely positive, and um, couldn't feel worse for. One, what he had to go through and him trying to reheal multiple times to get back on the field and it, it not happening. It sounds like he that all caused him to kind of fall in the depth chart. And he, you know, probably either got a hat tip or got, you know, kind of encouraged to go find a place that he could he could go play, which um, or at least get starting time because he's definitely um, a great player was, you know, we were all excited about him and he just got shit luck. I mean, that's that's all yeah. it is. Uh, you can't really you can't really help it. So I hope he, the best for him and and where he ends up. Honestly, that that's that that's completely brutal what he's had to go through already. Couple basketball notes before we move to recruiting. Jonathan Cabongo is retiring from basketball. At least that's what I believe to be the case. He had some injury problems of his own. Uh, he showed a lot of energy. Uh, in Buzz Williams' final season with the Hokies, uh, whenever he'd come off the bench, people seemed to really love him. Uh, the random nicknames, Kabongo Dynasty, that kind of thing. Um, but he's going to retire, and uh, we have uh, again, it's a, it's an injury depth chart kind of thing, and it's unfortunate for for Kabongo because he he could have been something here at Tech, and hopefully he he maybe moves on and plays somewhere else. I, I don't really know what's in the cards for him. 
The next thing I had was PJ Horn has entered the transfer portal as well. He, uh, Horn's situation is interesting because originally I had a lot of high hopes for him and uh, Buzz obviously wanted to use him in different ways than Mike Young wanted to use him. And in the first few games of Mike Young's tenure, Horn was shooting the lights out from deep and it was too good to be true, it seemed, because his shooting hit a slump and maybe he didn't fit in the system so well. And uh, I don't know what it was, whether the coaches were encouraging him or he just decided to move on, but uh, PJ Horn has entered the transfer portal. And so it's going to be, the team's going to look a, a lot different next year than it did this past year, I think. Yeah. And the Horn situation, I I don't know if we'll ever know whether he didn't feel like he fit into the system or whether the coaches didn't feel like he, you know, fit in what, what's what direction, or maybe it was mutual in, in, in that respect. Um, but you know, hope he ends up at a good place and, um, you know, the recruiting for, for basketball has been, you know, pretty, pretty stellar in the time period that we've been here. So, um, whether, whether they thought they had somebody else that maybe will fit into the program better or into the, I guess, Mike Young system a little bit better, you know, who knows? And those types of things, there's no, there's no reason to kind of read into it. It's just, you know, he's made the decision. Uh, well, to that end, uh, we gained another grad transfer in Cordell Pemsel from Iowa. And the best thing about him is he's six foot eight. And you know, our lack of depth in the front court has been an issue for a few years. And he's uh, 6'8", 249. So that's that's a big boy. That, that'll definitely help us down low. And uh, to go with Ojiako and Kiva Luma, um, this is a nice addition. We definitely needed some size. It's something that Mike Young in his first 13 months at Tech has brought in a lot more tall guys than Buzz was able to uh, over his tenure. Um, they have the same amount, and Buzz was here for five years, and Mike Young has been here for just over a year. So obviously, for whatever Mike wants to do on the floor, he has been going after a little bit more size, and that makes me happy because, um, you know, the basketball hoop is 10 feet off the ground, and you need you need tall guys. <laughs> I will ask you a question, though, and I saved this one up for, for the podcast so you can answer, is there has been more size brought into the pro- program, but like Mike Young hasn't always been known for for that in his his past. So I, I mean, does, do you think it all fits with his past scheme and what he was able? Obviously, the recruiting back then wasn't what he could do maybe now, and that's probably you know a little. I bit just of a, think that regardless of what system you run, you need to have more than one or two big men. <laughs> and yeah. I, I know Buzz always wanted to go like six foot five across the board and just like kill you with conditioning and, and different, you know, play really good defense. And I can think Mike Young wants to spread the floor a little bit more, shoot a lot more threes. And, uh, we have the shooters. Like we, we've got a lot of guards that are skilled and in, in, including, uh, the other grad transfer we brought in Cartier Diara. And now we need to get some guys that, you know, can bang down low and get rebounds. And we can't, we can't get beat on the boards. Um, you know, and get it to those guys unless we have big men. So I, uh, I like it. I, I like the fact that we're bringing in some more size. I, and at the end of Buzz's tenure, he might've missed on a few big guys that he thought he had. And then the Kadeem C situation was so weird where with him leaving the team twice, that what should have been another big man for us to rely on. So some, some bad luck for Buzz and, uh, some good luck for Mike bringing in these, these big guys. But my, my nightmare is always thinking back to like, 
FSU games where it literally looked like child mm-hmm. versus uh like it was like me playing versus my daughter in the backyard, like <laughs> at, at like some point, and it was across the entire floor. Yeah, it wasn't we even just were, down low. That was our like polar opposite was Florida State. <laughs> Absolutely, they they always seem to have like three or four seven footers, not just you know six foot eight, six foot nine, like legit NBA size. Let's go to some uh, football recruiting, and we'll start with the bad news before we get to the good news. And the biggest news and note nugget, whatever happened over the last month, was Demetrius Davis, our four-star quarterback commit, decommitted. And when he decommitted, obviously Hokie Nation kind of went crazy. But he put in the caveat that, like, you know, my recruitment with Virginia Tech isn't done. I'd still like to take an official visit blah, blah, blah. Shortly thereafter, he announced that uh, he's going to be making a decision. And so once you heard that, what was your thought process there? Uh, I, that he's, he was going to Auburn? I guess. <laughs> that he was going somewhere else? Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah. It just seemed too quick. My, my only, the only reason I pose it to you like that is because it seemed like he had opened his recruitment and it was going to be a couple months, maybe end of the football season or something that he was going to like rethink things. And maybe he's going to go with tech or one other school, but then his top three came out and Oh, tech's not even in it. (laughs) Yeah. I have a few thoughts on, and we can talk about, maybe we could wrap up our thoughts on him because I have a few thoughts just in recruiting and it's very relevant to kind of what he his kind of path on where he's gone so far. So maybe we can finish off. Cause I, I mean, it did have a ripple effect on the program in general, just that one decommitment. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the only thing I'll say to, to finish introducing the, the uh, topic is that yes, he did pick Auburn and uh, the, the worst thing about him spurning us was not him just picking another school. That's fine. Uh, is that he said that, we weren't even in the same league as Auburn. Was that how it was worded? I can't remember exactly. It was something like, along those lines. It was, and it brought up academics in general. It, it and, was like, uh, and then there's there's one way to, uh, not for, not to, not to uh, you know pull out a pun here, but to spur some feathers and really kind of get people riled up. Uh, was yeah, they brought up he brought up the academics as well, which that really got people heated, like even more than the decommitment. <laughs> Then we had people like going. He essentially out there. said we weren't in the same league as Auburn, like even academically, not yeah. not just in football, which is already an insult, but maybe true. <laughs> <laughs> but academically, come on now. And, and and here's the issue: if he believes that, which he very well might, that means that someone at Auburn did a great sales job, and someone at Virginia Tech did not. Yeah, I I would agree. It, it's first of all, I don't. I'll say this. On twofold. One, I, I've been, we can talk about this. I've been staying off, trying to do my best staying off Twitter, even like fan board, pretty much everything now because it's gotten just so heated on some of these things, especially when people have more and more downtime. There's a few times that I chipe in and I uh, can't keep my mouth shut. But that a lot of Hokie fans did not have very nice things to say. And I don't mean like the major people that are out there like putting out like a lot of tweets, but even just people that have like three followers are just sending, you know, just really nasty stuff. Like it just doesn't look good. Just 
Right. Just cut. Who cares? He If he wants to go somewhere else, let him go somewhere else. So I feel like he probably felt um, like he made a different decision, like people are allowed to do. And, you know, all of a sudden he got a huge backlash out of it. On the same front, it's it's not all that cool to, like, go out and then try and, like, rip on, you know, Virginia Tech for, you know, academics and athletics. That's, that's not a good way to go. But I, I will say that there's in my belief, there's this kind of in between where you have this, this certain kind of recruits that are just dedicated, like a guy that grows up in Ohio state and he's been an Ohio state fan for his entire life. And he's, he's going to go there. Like you don't, that that's kind of like one trend line. Then there's the trend line of people that are looking to try and make a name for themselves over time. And I'm not saying that's what he was trying to do, but I'm just generalizing that there are certain people out there. There are and, certain recruits that like to hit every fan base and try to like, hey, you know, Hokie Nation, get me followers. Hey, Ohio State Nation, get me yeah. followers. Like there, there's a lot to do that. And and I can't really hate on it that much. Like you're building your own brand. And especially with the name, you know, and the likeness stuff coming up, like building mm-hmm. that brand actually means a it's lot important. now. Yeah. Like it's 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 gonna be more important now that you can actually get paid for that kind of thing. So I'm not saying that has anything to do with his decision making, but I can see in somebody's in the general recruiting atmosphere, like this sphere of like people, there are gonna be pockets of people, and I'm not saying he's one of them that that kind of want to like, you know, build their brand, like, and, and get recognition because assume that like, I'm a great five-star quarterback, right? I'm a, uh, and most people know me, but I, and I commit to Georgia and I'm with Georgia, but I'm going to get more recognition by decommitting to Georgia, waiting and then recommitting to Florida. That is going to, that's going to spur a bunch of news. My name's going to get out to a whole bit, another bunch of people. Yeah. That's, so, that's an interesting point. Yeah. So I'm not saying I'm that's not, what happened. You're not here. saying that's what no, Davis did. But my but. my point is is that I've just I've gained there's certain recruits that you like you kind of look at and sometimes when it seems too good to be true, yeah, we all know the adage. Like it, it, yeah. it probably it probably is. And or maybe he just found a better home at Auburn and I I hope he did and I hope the best of luck for him. But uh, from the beginning probably I don't know, three months, two months after his commitment, I said to you multiple times, I was like, what I said, I, I don't think he's coming to Virginia Tech. <laughs> well, said, it, it was said, early. It yeah. was a very early commitment by a very high-profile recruit uh, from a very ho- high-profile football state. And that, whether or not, you just don't want to be the first school someone commits to if it's over a year early. You just you just don't, especially if you're a smaller school, smaller school with less revenue is what I mean, like tech, because every big school is going to be after that kid for a year and a half saying, don't go there. You're not going to win anything. You're not going to be on a big stage, blah, blah, blah. And it didn't take long for the big schools to do that. Now, the one thing I'll say about Davis specifically is, once a guy becomes a decommitment, you know, he, he has that reputation that he can be swayed. And so it's not going to stop for him. Like he's going to be, every school is going to keep coming after him because, yeah. oh, he's already decommitted once. So he might do it again. And I kind of feel like he might. And Auburn is losing six senior offensive linemen this upcoming year. Bo Nix is going to get his head ripped off week after week by SEC defenses Gus Malzahn perpetually on and off the hot seat. 
it just is a perfect recipe for another decommitment from Davis. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but I'll tell you right now, Auburn season, not going to be very strong, particularly on the offensive side of the football. And it might change his mind. And maybe we'll get back in it. Maybe some of the other schools he named at the tail end will get back in it. But it's interesting because we're in a time right now where more recruits are committing than ever have in any other year. Bud Elliott puts the stat out every morning on Twitter. Right now, we're at roughly 900 commits in the 2021 class. This time last year, it was 400 for the 2021 class, actually less than 400. So it's more than double the amount of guys have committed for the 2021 class already. And what a lot of college football writers are thinking and recruitniks are thinking is that once the season starts and guys can take visits and certain teams have bad years, there's going to be a lot of flips, like a lot of flips, way more than normal. I I, I agree. I think, I think the trend is, is yes, I think it, but it's also because of what I said, like yeah, building your brand is, is about like your movement and your notoriety through programs. It's not necessarily about your commitment. I mean, those stats are, and this off is the, the first charts. year we're going like, to see that with yeah. the NIL being a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and I don't, I can't like, that's, that's the new norm. Like I, I don't hate on it. And like I said, I hope Davis has an awesome career at Auburn. And in fact, it was not all that surprising. I didn't lose an ounce of sleep because I wasn't really banking on him getting to Blacksburg anywhere. I would have absolutely loved if he did, but I was not, I was not banking on it, but I think this is going to be a new trend that actually that, that kind of like ends up happening is that's how you kind of get your name out there. It gets you in the shuffle. Well, Did you see that kid, uh, Zachary Evans, the five-star running back from the 2020 class? He just committed, I want to say it was like Arkansas or TCU or something, but he was committed and uncommitted like five times to different schools. And it was it was the most wild recruitment. And he's a five-star. So like every school wanted him and was willing to put up with his BS because he's a five-star. And I do wonder if we'll see more and more of that going forward. Yeah. It's it's just made me less interested in the whole process because it just doesn't it doesn't really seem like anything anymore. It's like yeah, I'm committed, or it's like uh, I'm I'm not really committed. It it really doesn't it, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me anymore. And there and that's not to say. And I know this sounds like I'm con, you know contradicting myself. There are some players that really are getting an offer of their dreams that are committing, and there there are thousands of them across the country that are really dedicated to it. Um, un- unfortunately it's just, it's tougher to follow because we always gravitate to who's the blue trip. Who's the four star, who's the five star. Mm. And those guys have more options. So for me, it's just, it's just easier to just, you know, see what we have at the end of the end of the recruiting season. My final thought on that is this year, more than any other year, I think it's important to have a good season on the field. Because no one can visit campuses and they're committing without having visited and maybe they will never visit. Maybe they won't get a chance. Who knows? The only thing they're going to definitely see if there's a season is the teams playing well or playing poorly. And so more than ever for recruiting purposes, and this is always the case, good seasons usually lead to better recruiting classes because teams want to play for winners. But this season more than any other, we have 
to have a good season on uh, on the field to lead to a good season for recruiting because it could really jump up with all the flips and decommitments and a potential delayed early signing period. Like that early signing period in December, I kind of doubt that's happening because they've already pushed back the dead period to the uh, end of again, July. Again, they just did it again. again. Yeah. And I just think that early signing period, that's not going to happen. So it's going to be regular National Signing Day like it was three years ago, just the February 5th, whatever date it is. And that January leading up to that February, depending on how they maneuver it and how the season goes, could just be insane. Yep. It's uh, it's going to be extremely important. And I wouldn't be surprised. They're going to push back the dead period probably another another month. Because we announced that on our last podcast, they had just pushed it back a month. We talked about it. And then they just recently pushed it back. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't push it back one another month. Yeah, I, I, I would think not just because like camps should be open, but who knows? Uh, all right, let's take a beer break before we move on to the commits we did get. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I grabbed a beer about a week ago. I do a once a week stop now. Got to only go into places as minimally as you can. So I go in, I get my beer for pretty much the weekend, the week, whatever the case may be. So I grabbed, I think we've had this on here, um, Back Bay Brewing Company. It's down in Virginia Beach. You're, it seems like you're familiar with I think we've had it on um, before. It's their Lotus. It's their white India um, or IPA, I should say, before I spell out the whole thing. A so, white IPA? Yes. Um, which is usually a kind of a more mellow, softer, uh, IPA. It's got, um, Lotus hops in it. Um, and it's got a Lotus on it. So beat that. And, and somehow I, uh, like a lot has a Lotus car on the can. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, 7.2%. I went in today. I usually try and find a new beer that I haven't had. Cause like, oh, I only get to go in like once a week and pick out like, a, and I usually go with new one back to back weeks on this one. I went in and got it again. It's delicious. It must be good. then. I really like this beer. Uh, back Bay brewing down in Virginia beach. I don't know if I could give it a good flavor profile at this point, but it, it's, um, it's just delicious. If you don't want something, it's not like a heavy kind of double. Let me ask you this. It's not, is it like a Allagash white? But an IPA? <laughs> uh, it's a little... No, it's not as subdued as like an Allagash. Okay. So it's got... But it's it's tamed down, I guess, from like a true like double well, kind of IPA. So mm-hmm. um, if you mixed in a little bit of... You could think of it that way. Like when you mix in a, like, like a white Allagash or something like that, you could take like a really kind of hoppy uh, beer and then tone it down a little bit is the sense I get from it. I, I like it a lot. Maybe other people don't, but it's delicious and the logo's badass. I mean, come on now. That's... Yeah. I am drinking the Mind Haze IPA from Firestone Walker. I know you're a big fan of Firestone. This is really good. I think this is a newer one of their IPAs. I have not, I hadn't seen it before. I bought it, bought a six pack of it without ever trying it because I know I like that brewery and it was a winner. This is what I'd classify in the New England family even though Firestone is from California. Yes. But uh, it doesn't fit the West Coast profile. And in fact, we had uh, one of our followers, I think it was Mike McGrady. He asked us, 
could we explain the difference between a New England and a West Coast IPA? And uh, not that we're brewers, but the simple answer is that a New England is going to be hazier, a little bit sweeter, uh, and a West Coast is going to be translucent and more copper in color and more bitter. Like yeah. that, that's how I would, how would you classify it? No, I think that's right. Like a hazy, if you hold it up, you're not supposed to be able to see through the the glass. Like that's the whole point. It's supposed to almost feel like, like you took like a, like an orange peel and like, and dropped all of that in there. It's supposed to be extremely mm-hmm. like dark. Like, and um, if you go back to like the green flash days, like the real West coast, like uh, IPAs and stuff like that, those are, those are very translucent. They're very, um, what's the best word? It just hits you on your tongue. Like you get the flavor, you get the, like the hops like that. Whereas on like, in my mind, when I drink in new England, it's more back of the tongue kind of like, it's very like thick, heavy, subdued. It kind of like overwhelms like your, your, your palate and your, but the flavor doesn't hit you. It like kind of settles in is how I yeah. would, I would characterize if I drank the two. I'd also say that a West coast for me is more drinkable mm-hmm. uh, over a longer term. So you could have, I could have four or five West Coast IPAs back to back to back and it would be fine. After one or two New Englands, I'm just, I'm going to feel a little bit full and I'm not going to want anymore. The other thing that happens with New Englands is some of them and a lot of the East Coast New Englands uh, from up north will put lactose sugar in the beer as well. And that's part of the sweetness and that really will fill you up. Yeah. So, uh, I love new England's maybe after a meal as a dessert or, uh, you know, having one or a 16 ounce can that's 8%. But the West coast, I mean, I could have, you know, four, eight percenters and each one, because the first one's a little bit bitter, but each one afterwards goes down easier. Yeah. It's a, it's, Depending on if you get used to them, you can suck down a bunch of uh, New England's, but you got to be a certain kind of person. All right, let's move on to the commits we did get over the past month. I'll start in chronological order. The first one, it was a big boy, defensive tackle Tyus Martin. He was a three-star from Jacksonville, Arkansas, and he had a Tennessee and a UVA offer. The greatest thing about him is is he fits the TNT mold of being huge. He's six foot three, and his weight listed on 247 was 318. So on, on people that if it was happening this year, you would want to bring on campus, uh, that would probably be one of them, you know, if you, <laughs> yeah. if you had the opportunity. But I kind of like big, it, though. I, I like the the flexibility with those types of guys. And, uh, and I, I will say... You know, some of the larger players that we've uh, we've gone back to over whatever position in the past, they usually tend to end up showing up on on the field. We haven't we've only had a couple here and there where it was like they never really filled out to to really their their level just because of uh, a little too much weight or a little bit too much size for them. So that's uh, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Follow the Tim Settle model on whatever he did, yes. because uh, he got really good uh, quickly and left early. Hmm. The next one we got was wide receiver Jalen Jones. He committed on May 15th. He's a three-star from Richmond, so it's nice to get an in-state kid. He had BC, Duke, UVA, Pitt, and Wake offers. So a lot of ECC offers, but no other like big-time Power 5 offers. The cool thing about Jones was he drew a lot of comparisons to Cam Phillips. Yeah, and if you want to draw 
comparisons to anybody. That's uh, a pretty good guy to uh, to do it. So, and the thing about Cam was he came in and was relatively overshadowed in his position. So, um, and it took actually somebody else leaving for us to actually fully, we recognized it, I think, the year before uh, Ford left, how good he actually was. But uh, Ken Phillips was was a monster. So to, and and had a lot of unique attributes that I think um, could could do well in this system, even more so than, than somebody like a, you know, a Ford comparison or, or otherwise, like that is, that is a versatile player that I think could go, go a long way if that's um, what he pans out to be. And then we got a really cool commitment in safety, Jalen Stroman, the brother of Greg Stroman, three-star from Noakesville, Virginia. Jalen is in 88 on the 247 in-house rankings, which in the last two cycles is tied for our highest recruit that we've gotten with, uh, what is it, Neville and Alec Bryant. So we've only gotten three guys that were an 88 on the 247 in-house ranking in the last two years, and Stroman is one of them. And he's much thicker than his brother Greg. <laughs> he's a, and not in a bad way, he's a big dude. Like, he, he's got some size, and he, um, it's kind of funny. He reminds me of, like, the youngest Edmonds brother. He was, like, the biggest one of of, yeah. of, of yeah. all of them. Um, yeah, seven but, years younger than Greg, too. Like, big-time yeah. big baby brother. Uh, and he had a cool commitment video, too, where they took, I guess, Greg's car, because Greg was in the video, and they smoked the tires out and, like, did donuts. But the Dude. first smoke was orange and maroon that came out of the tires. Yeah. And I just thought that was a really unique uh, and cool commitment video. Yeah, and it, I mean, Stroh was, you know, a legend for Virginia Tech. Just an amazing guy, amazing player. So to, to have his brother and to kind of continue this, I don't even know what you want to call it at this. It's not a tradition. It's it's almost a lineage at this point of, of players coming back. Yeah, brotherhood. And it, it's weird. We don't look around the country um, because it, it happens other places. I mean, you look at Ohio State, it happens, you know, but... I, I do feel like if you actually made a comparison across the country, like it would be, we would be up there in the amount of uh, siblings that end up going and playing for the, the, the same school. So um, that was, that was awesome to hear for a lot of reasons, even beyond just, you know, on the field performance. So awesome stuff. Yeah. I think he could be a stud for sure. And then we got a commitment just last night from running back chance black. Very cool name. He committed uh, 527, three star from Roebuck, South Carolina. At six foot one, 190, he looks more like a wide receiver on his film. Uh, and he's not the highest rated recruit, but I really liked his film. He, he looks like a very dynamic player. He runs because he's listed as a running back, and that's his, I guess, his primary position. But once he gets to Tech, he's going to be one of those running back wide receiver hybrids, I would think. But his style is very much like Derrick Henry and not in the size-wise because Henry is just a, a freak. But if you ever watch Henry, he's got like a very high waist, long legs, and kind of has an upright running style. That's how Chance Black runs. It's almost like I'm going to come at you. You're not going to come at me running style, like up high, just here we go. Um no, I think I think it looks good. It, you know, it was it was pretty obvious out there, both from you know the VT recruiting. Everybody 
he came on campus and obviously impressed a lot of people. So it, it it's exciting to see uh, him come in and out of South Carolina. And we were also one of the very early offers on him, which is kind of, you know, you and I have talked about this. I think that is going to be a theme that takes place. I, I would hope it takes place more and more as, you know, we've talked about some of the struggles in our recruiting department as it improves. I'm okay with us being an early offer. Like in fact, it shows, you know, yeah. Are we just sending out the bat signal on some kid, but I would rather just show commitment to like, we want you at this program. So, um, maybe this sends off the bat signal and a bunch of other people figure out this guy's a stud, but I would rather be in that position than be in the opposite where we're trying to chase, uh, somebody at the, at the end of the t- end of their recruiting. And we're in a position right now where we have to win on evaluations. We have to, because we clearly cannot compete for like the high level recruits that we really, really want to go after. Uh, we have to win on the fringes, on the margins, and we have to win at these evaluations. So if you can get in first because you have superior evaluation skills, that's what you got to do. The last two additions to the recruiting class were two transfers. Justice Reed, we talked about in the last podcast, he's a defensive end from Youngstown State. He committed, and this might be the biggest commitment for this upcoming season that we got. I mean, he uh, absolutely is going to make a difference at defensive end. He's six foot three, two seventy. I joked he's about how monster. old he was. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a big defensive end, and he's twenty four years old. Gonna be twenty four years old because he's had a long road to get back to D one. He started at Florida, went to Youngstown, had injuries, and balled out last year. Nineteen tackles for loss, and now he gets to play on the big stage again. And I love it. He's probably going to be a day one starter across from Garbit or Belmar. I don't know. I think he's going to be the people have gone through that kind of ebbs and flows of like, yeah, I went to Florida and then I, you end up at Youngstown state with, with the uh, Polini and like, then you make your way back to, and through injury. And at that age, you just, you understand what it means to kind of be back at that level and have another opportunity. I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think he's going to let that opportunity go away. So regardless, I mean, his size is amazing. He's going to be a massive person in in that a position that I think is going to be really impactful or could be impactful if he starts. And I think he's going to have, hopefully, a good head on his shoulders and understanding where he came from, where he's been, and and what it means to be back at the opportunity to really play for a, you know, a big D1 program. And you know how many, how much concern I had for the defensive end position and the defensive line position in general. And it's it's a huge, much needed boost. It's it's amazing to insert that and have all of the other depth just you know step back one notch. It, it's a, it's great. Uh, it'll greatly improve our prospects of winning the coastal this year, in my opinion, and, and help everybody else at that position. I mean, it's, it's not just, he's about got experience, like, right? Well, and it's not just like it gives them time to learn off of somebody else. And it's, it's not about just replacing people on the field. It's about building off each other. And I think that, yeah, that's what helpful. I mean. Yeah. A yeah. veteran presence can help, you know, be a coach on the field, that kind of yep. thing. And last was the wide receiver, Evan Ferris from Kansas. Yes, another Kansas transfer for our beloved Hokies. Uh, He played in all 12 games as a sophomore in 2017. He started two of those games. He redshirted 2018, 
And then last year, I'm not really sure what happened. He didn't play very much. Uh, he's listed at 6'3", 205, grad transfer. He'll play right away. This is probably uh, a depth piece, but here's the thing. We only have six scholarship wide receivers on the roster right now. And so we are getting two more from the freshman class, but Fares is going to have a chance to get on the field with the current depth situation at wide receiver. Yeah, I would agree with that. And he's got... Um... He's got a good amount of skill talent around him to learn from and like develop quickly at you know the the next level. So uh, I we'll we'll see that it is an area that we went from uh, <laughs> in a, a large number of people that we had and an exorbitant number of people that we had to very thin quickly, and uh, the depth there is going to be going to be helpful. Yeah, yeah, and his size too. Maybe he becomes. Even if he doesn't get on the field a ton, maybe he's a red zone guy. You know, I yeah. don't, that six three though. That's six three two hundred five is a is a uh, good size for a receiver and and someone will definitely have a chance to get on the field. Overall, the twenty twenty one class is now sitting at number forty nine nationally in the composite and thirteenth in the ACC. Uh, this is the obligatory uh, portion of the podcast where we discuss how the recruiting's going <laughs> overall. And uh, unfortunately, the last two years, we've seen that 13 or 14 next to our name in the conference recruiting rankings. I do realize that it is not June yet, and we said that last year. And so I don't know about you, but all the hope and all the promise that was being shown in the 2021 recruiting class about a month ago when we talked and how we it seemed like not only do we have Davis in the fold, we have, oh, this CB, Riley, he's going to commit, and this other guy's going to commit, and this other guy's going to commit. And guess what? Not a whole lot of movement on the high-end recruits coming to Tech. We have gotten some nice pieces that we just mentioned. But overall, we're still sitting at the very bottom of our conference. What's what's your perception right now on our recruiting status? You're trying to back me into the recruiting talk. I I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I've, I mean, I've, tra- I've tried to. We'll move on shortly. We'll move on very shortly. I mean, it's it's just not at the. Let me put it differently. If you asked Fuente and everybody else, like to at this point, it is like the recruiting at the level. They would say we found the pieces that we need. We felt we think we recruited and we we found guys that other people didn't notice and we brought the right guys in and all of that's absolutely and positively true, except for the fact that they would have also liked to have some higher rated recruits, some better players that have been well evaluated and well known to be very good players. I can, I can perfectly respect the fact that they're guys that, they are evaluating. They are thinking are going to be good in the program. They are they are going to fit the mold of what we're trying to build in Virginia Tech. However, you know, every, every one of those programs has to have a few of the guys that are higher recruited that are whether maybe you're even taking a, a gamble on a guy. It's like, hey, this is a four-star recruit. You know, we think we can iron them out. You, you need some of that. Like that, that is somewhere your home runs end up coming in. And right now it is behind where I think even the program would say they want to be. And, but we have time until 
until yeah. signing day. Yeah. I mean, it's just that that's it. I we mean, do. I'm happy with the guys that we got. I think that there's other people out there that we would like to have that can improve the program, you know, even more. The the stretch of recruiting over the past year and a half since the 2019 class signed in February of 2019, which highlighted with Doug Nestor signing on signing day with Tech. Um, it's probably been the poorest stretch of recruiting for Virginia Tech football in over 20 years. It, and that, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. It's it's just, you look at the numbers, you look at how many four stars we've had committed to the program in the last year and a half, and it's one. It's Alec Bryant, and that's it. And guess what? He was a very low four star. And these are subjective rankings, but as we've said many times, on a macro scale, these rankings are important. And when you look at that and you look at the guys that we know that we wanted, the names that we know the coaches wanted and we missed on, you you know it hasn't been going well. That's indisputable. So no matter how bad it looks right now, it can get a lot better. It can. But right now, since that last, you know, that last recruiting class of 2019 where we had a nice finish with Nestor, it's been a struggle for this staff and this coach to get the players he wants, the players we know he wants, into tech. It has been a struggle. And it's it sucks. And so hopefully, I'm hoping it gets better. Um, we'll see. And that's why this season, it is more important for Virginia Tech to play football this season than I think... Uh, almost any other program in FBS. Like we need this season because it's going to be a good season. No, it's going for, to be any other a top, strong roster for, for us. any other t- top 40 team. It's more important for us to play f- football and play it relatively well this season than anybody else. That, there, that, there's no question that that's the case. Last topic. And this is a fun one. <laughs> Athlon put out its magazine I'm actually waiting to receive mine because I ordered it on their website because you can't go to Barnes & Noble right now and, and buy it. Um, Tomorrow you put can. Out their top, you just got to put a mask on. <laughs> are they open? Are they one of the retailers that's open? Uh, I think so. I think we're, well, maybe that's phase two. I don't know what phase we're in. We're in phase zero Either right way, now. they put out their magazine and they put out their top 25. And fortunately, you can go read the top 25 online for free. And Virginia Tech is in the top 25. They are number 24. If you recall, last year, Athlon had us at number 26. So we just missed out on the top 25. And they had UVA, I think it was one slot ahead of us, which turned out to be correct because UVA beat us in the last game of the year. So Athlon kind of nailed it on that one. They they um, nail it a lot of times, sadly. So I will I'll yeah, say well, that with a caveat about what we're about to talk about. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, that kind of made me feel good because Athlon is the most accurate magazine over the last three years, mm-hmm. and they put us in the top 25. And I, I'm i not saying that I, <clears throat> where we are, which is number 24, is my best case scenario for the season, <clears throat> but I'd rather have Athlon put us in their top 25 than not because they are very accurate. <laughs> Here's here's what I my, my point because I I've listened I listened to the Cover Two podcast as you do and so you get a lot of insight from from those guys in in listening to them talk 
over the air because they build it. I mean, they do the whole magazine, right? And um, rank 24, I loved it. I mean, that's perfect. And then they were like, well, and they're going through, they spent this whole like episode going through like all one through 25. And they said, they got to number 23 and they said, okay, well, number... (laughs) Number 24 and number 25 are Virginia Tech and Iowa. And I don't know about you, but like number 24 through 35 are interchangeable, like to me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I heard like, that. I'm like, was, oh, great. <laughs> I go, what a dagger. Like, I spent yeah. an hour and a half listening to this podcast and to just to hear that. But I will say. Didn't he put us like in the same like yeah. tier as Nebraska? Yes. Everybody. Well, he's, he's a huge you know scott frost fan so yeah, that's probably why but yeah but, it was like 15 teams yes. or whatever it's like oh yeah all these teams they're basically the same yeah but virginia tech is the best of all those same teams exactly um but they did talk about the return of hooker um but they didn't talk about it as well as tom fernelli does uh and if you haven't heard about tom fernelli and what he his high hopes for virginia tech this year but i i thought you know, 24 was, was, I mean, I think, I think that's reasonable. I think that yeah. is not too high to give us like lofty expectations. That might be a little bit too much to, and it gives us a lot of runway to, you know, so much is predicated, assuming the season happens the way it's supposed to on that Penn state game. I, I mean, you come out and I, that's, that's a, you know, not for lack of a better phrase, that's a zero or one game. Like we either yeah. win or we lose. And I don't know that keeping it close is really going to matter that much because it's a home game. So that's really just a zero or one. Like you win and that like kind of is lofty for us or it's and not. It so our, to, yeah. yeah, our schedule is so weird that I don't really. And then so after that, if you hold serve after that, then what they're basically saying is they're assuming a loss there. They're, and then it's the UNC game. When, and, and my thing with these rankings is that PSU was five, like you said. UNC was at number 18. And I don't have a problem with Tech being number 24 whatsoever. I think at their top end, Tech is going to be significantly better than 24. Uh, but I could also see it going sideways and being below that. But my, my thing with UNC at 18, like that's wrong. Like UNC, they should either be one spot ahead of us or one spot behind us. They should not be in a whole different tier no. ahead of us. And you know Sam how Howell. much it's Sam Braden Gall loves <laughs> Sam Howell. And a lot of the pundits do. And I guess the entire staff over at Athlon does because that's the only reason you would put UNC at 18. I know like you got Chad Surratt playing linebacker now and he's coming back and very good player. And they're, they're going to be... They've got some good pieces back and the wide receivers and Daz Newsome and all that. But it just seems a little too high for a team that lost a bunch of games, uh, lost to us, and I know that was six overtimes and we were the home team, but Hooker went out of the game and we still managed to beat the the wonderful Sam Howell. Um, I just think that like that's where I have the issue. I don't have an issue with Tech being 24. I have an issue with UNC being far from us. Yep. Uh, no, I totally, I mean, that's that's in my notes here. And I think the Sam Howell thing is, 
and for maybe we're talking about another team on a hoagie podcast that seems weird but i think it's extremely relevant for what you're going to start to hear as the season progresses because this is all i've been hearing and i listen to way too much sports talk radio and read too much is people are all over sam howe like all over him it is insane and i mean he's probably the number two most talked about quarterback behind trevor lawrence by far i I, i'm trying to think now justin field it's it's justin field it's the three of them and yeah it's just so you know i want to prepare hokey fans you are going to hear a lot about sam howell as the season approaches because people are all over him and i mean i'm trying to remember back but like i mean he was a great quarterback but like he was not mind-blowing and we've seen plenty of quarterbacks take a step back so to put that much emphasis on a quarterback in your rankings that hasn't taken you to a lot of wins seems like like justin fields he did it like i mean like there's quarterbacks that have it went to the playoffs yeah Yeah, so like that i agree with you i think the hype is He's a good player, but it's built so much on projection than what we saw. Like, yes, he's very, very good. And I think part of it, too, is the UNC defense is going to take a step back because they lost a bunch of players. And that means Sam Howell's going to be having to score more and throw more. And so they're they're thinking about the stats. And I'm not so sure it means it's going to lead to winning. And, yes, he's going – he's good, but, like, I'm with you. It's it's gotten to a point now where he was so he was so like the wonder boy that now he's overrated. Yeah, it's it's gotten a little bit annoying. So if anybody's wondering why they're ranked at the way they are, it's because of Sam Howell and other rankings have done the same thing. And people are are not being bashful about it either. It's not like nobody's anybody's trying to hide their hand. A lot of them are just saying we're rating them higher because of Sam Howell. Like so I appreciate the honesty. I just don't know if I buy into the hype, and I hope Hendon Hooker's hearing all of that commentary because yeah. I'd love him the question, to see yeah. him. Like, and um, so that that who's going to develop more, right? Yeah, who so, who wins the coastal is who develops more, Hooker or Sam Howell? Yeah, and that's a good place to be. You know, I, we'd love to be ranked at eighteen and then them ranked at twenty four, but the fact that they have us and most programs have us or most, uh, you know, outlets have us, uh, us versus UNC. I mean, that's a good place to be. Like, don't they have a very tough schedule? Don't they have Auburn and UCF on their out of conference schedule? I have to take another look at that, but yeah, it's, I, it's not, it's not great for them, but it's they're They always, they're thinking about usually in conference. So that's what they're always saying. That's true. And if they think they're going to beat us and they think we're going to be pretty good, then yeah, I guess the 18 ranking uh, Mm -hmm. makes sense. But I, I and they're thinking it's at home there. It's at home for UNC. So I I don't hate on it. Yeah. We are on the road for the UNC game. So there you go. But yeah, it's, uh, it's Auburn, it's UCF, it's JMU. And, um, I I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to (laughs) be, I wouldn't want to play JMU any year. <laughs> no, no, we we learned that lesson all too well, and they've only gotten better every year. So, uh, I think that was it for the topics. Do you have another beer that you're drinking over there? Yeah, well, I think you're up first if you got it. Uh, oh, sure, yeah. Available. I'm just doing a Sam Summer Ale. So my my review is simple. Uh, I cracked my first one of these about a week ago, 
on the porch and it just hit so right. <laughs> it was a nice, cool spring evening and it was my first summer ale of the season and it tasted great. 5.3% alcohol. Every year is a little bit different with the summer ale. Some it's a little bit more tart. Some it's a little bit more fruity. Uh, this year's is delicious. I I really love a good Sam Summer and this one's treating me right. What are you drinking, Robbie? I'm drinking um I'm drinking juicer juicier bomb. It's a double uh New England IPA. Uh this was one of uh, another new one that I was able to pick up off the shelf. The other one I had already had before, but this one was a new one and this is from let's see Hopewell Junction, New York. So we're going, we're going up north. Eight percent alcohol by volume. Sloop Brewing Company is the name. Oh, of I've it. heard of Sloop. Okay, you know Sloop. I've yeah. never heard of Sloop. Yeah. They're they are very. Um, I don't know if you could characterize any can other than like Sloop. This is perfect. Like it's just it's got like it almost looks like uh, like Scooby Doo or something. Yeah, Scooby Doo. It's probably the best explanation. It's good. It's it's a true, real kind of meaty uh, double New England IPA, which usually you just go New England IPA or you go double IPA. This is a double New England IPA. So I'm I'm getting hit with a lot of citrus and like a lot of uh, a lot of depth to to the beer, but it's good. I actually like it. It was suggested to me at the beer store i go to down the the road i like it it's got a lot of heaviness to it to your point yeah that's the kind of beer that if i drink that out then immediately after i need to like follow it up with like a vodka soda like something something real like nice and light if i'm if i'm getting too filled up it's got a lot of citrus in it but then like it's it's pretty heavy too so it they they put the bomb in that for a reason i want to close with just uh that Bud Foster interview our buddies over the Sports Gambling Podcast had, you know, at first I'm like, ah, it's Bud. You know, he never says anything too, too interesting. But you texted me. You're like, did you listen to this yet? Like, there's some nuggets in there. And it's true. Bud talked about how at Clemson it came down to him, him and Dabo for that job. Like, and he was... I guess he interviewed and was close to getting it and they offered it. He didn't make that clear, but he said it was down to him and Dabo. Yeah. Um, but the other part that I thought was funny was that he says he drinks a ton of Tito's. <laughs> yes. And he said he could sell out a Tito store. So I hit up Colby right after I finished it. Colby's one of the guys that does the podcast with him. He's a comedian out on the West coast that we've had on here a number of times. He's awesome. He's one of my favorite people. He's funny as shit. And uh, I said, hey, you, you know, great interview. You guys know you've got like a nugget that I've never heard before. And I think I've heard most of them or I've read most of them or I've heard most of the rumors or read most of the rumors. And I said, it was the Clemson bite. And I said, you guys might have gotten something out of that. And for those that don't know, uh, Kramer on there that is a Virginia Tech grad. I mean, it comes out pretty obviously in, in the uh, interview, but... I thought they did a, a great job, and I liked how he talked about exactly what you said, Bud's drink, the Foster, that you can get in, in Blacksburg. So um, he could run the – I don't know why he hasn't started a Tito's campaign. He's independent from the school, kind of. <laughs> I know. I always pictured Bud more as a Bud guy. <laughs> like I just no. pictured him drinking like – 
cold beer, like, you know, the most basic cold beer there is. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a Tito's person myself. Like if I'm drinking vodka, it is going to be Tito's 90% of the time. And the other 10%, it's like maybe a kettle, maybe a flavored something, but usually it's Tito's. Yeah. But no, those guys are awesome. If you haven't heard the, if you haven't heard the interview, it's good to go check out it. It's just good to hear like Bud He's just so relaxed and so like cordial and nice. And he just, oh, he's seems, loving life. He's just having such a great time with life. And he was just so happy to go on. So, um, and he did talk about the transition a little bit to Justin, which yeah. I thought was cool and how much he, he thinks Justin was the guy and yeah. would recommend him to Fuente. And then it went back and forth a little bit. So that was all, it was all pretty interesting, but, uh, yeah, it's the sports gambling podcast, the most, uh, simple name it, directly to the point it's about sports gambling and during the football season there's there's two different feeds but they have a show that colby runs uh with a guy named patty c it's the college experience yeah. and it's colby is like all about college football he lived on robbie's couch i think for a semester yeah, in tech colby. and then he's an ecu guy but yeah. he's a great guy hilarious and they curse and oh, say the most crazy stuff during their podcast but it's funny and you'll get some good gambling advice i would listen to it every week last year just to see if i could get any oh and believe me we're not pumping them for money believe me i i i'll the only thing that i'm giving to colby is maybe i'll buy him a beer once in a while so we're believe me we're not pumping them it's only because i know how good colby is and He's Colby's and they actually, got Bud Foster for an interview. Yeah, I mean, and Colby huge. is actually an amazing gambler. It's it's actually quite ridiculous how good he is. And he, I'll just have you know, he started that on my couch in Blacksburg when we lived. Uh, he lived on my couch for like a while while he was trying to be a movie producer at the same time. And then he ended up being com- a comedian in L.A. doing sports gambling. That's how you. That's how you live your life, folks. I think they're pretty successful too. I mean, they've got a pretty good operation, that sports gambling podcast. Anyway, enough about that. Enough for the podcast. We've, we've covered a lot of topics, uh, mostly recruiting, but, uh, got into a little bit of everything. Thank you for listening. I know we're only doing about a show a month right now, but with no sports and, uh, no spring practice and no guys on campus, it's, I think you realize that this is just how it is. If you need things to listen to, there are, some other Hokies podcasts out there that are doing a good job putting out content, putting out good interviews, and you can find them absolutely no problem. And um, whether it's Don V or the Sons of Saturday, um, what is it, Two Minute Drill Field, Chowder and Grits, there's, I mean, there's a lot of Hokie podcasts out there. Uh, I've listened to a bunch, and we support them all, and you can too, uh, because we're not around every week. We'd like to be. But um, our voices aren't during nice, the season, our voices aren't nice enough to do weekly podcasts. So uh, we try and keep it content driven. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so that's going to do it. And we'll talk to you guys hopefully in June with some previews of the upcoming games. We'll have a little bit more information on when the season will start. But over the summer, we like to do our quick hitting team previews, maybe 15 15, 10 minutes, 15 minutes on each team that we're going to play this upcoming season. So we'll do that in two parts at some point this summer. And until next time, go Hokies.